0: hello 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 all you listeners out there and welcome back to the ics pulse podcast actually i almost called you all pulsars we've been kind of batting around names for our listeners not that any of you want to be named anything but we're we're kind of we're testing out pulsars so hello all you pulsars out there welcome to the podcast
1: yes welcome welcome our fellow pulsars and i mean this goes without saying, uh, and this is already a shameless plug that usually comes in at the end, but if you don't like that name at all, you can feel free to contact us and try and dispute us. That doesn't mean anything's going to happen, but you can try and get your piece in. We can go back and forth. We can try and figure it out. So if you if you do want to do that, uh, you can reach me at twall at com,
0: Or you can hit me at g C-O-H-E-N, C-O-H-E-N at cfemedia.com, We should probably introduce ourselves, I am Gary Cohen. I am Tyler Wall um it, we're open to names we, we we thought pulses for a second we thought maybe and then uh then we went with pulsars which I don't know that seemed that that I liked the the sound of it and it actually has a meaning pulsar a celestial object thought to be a rapidly rotating neutron star that emits regular phases of radio waves and other electromagnetic magnetic radiation at rates of up to a thousand pulses per second. That's a Pulsar. You guys probably knew that. I didn't have to read that to you. We also
1: even we even played around with like pulsins, like uh, Kevin Pulson, shall I say? Shall I name drop? One of those fantastic hackers out there.
0: <laughs> These are all options that we have for the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast, which we've got another great one for you today. Uh, joining us on this one, Mike Nelson. He's the Director of Strategy and Consulting for the US at CyberCX smart guy nice guy um spent a lot of time this week talking about strategy about how to kind of get going on your cybersecurity maturity journey right how to what you need to know what you need to do to get started uh we talked about the value of security testing uh talked about AI a little bit uh in I'm just going to say full disclosure, a conversation that went a little bit over my head. Uh, We talked about the impact of quantum computing on cybersecurity. I'd like to say that I understood the entire conversation that we had. I did not.
1: No, that was a a heavy part of the conversation, I would say. That's kind of one of those parts where I'm just kind of sitting there going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Just kind of nodding along a little bit. But yes, Uh, Mike was a really great guy to talk to. a fantastic cybersecurity practitioner. No need to hurt me. I did not say expert. Um, Yeah, I really liked a lot what he had to say, though. I mean, just because I think when we're talking about cybersecurity and securing, you know, your industrial environments, your manufacturing environments, especially those legacy OT systems, I mean, uh, establishing your uh, cybersecurity strategy is one of the most foundational important things you're ever going to do. And he had some very valuable things to say, especially, I mean, in my opinion, about pen testing, I know I've talked pretty negatively about t- pen testing in the past, right? You know, you got to shut everything down in order to test it. However, I've come around. I've learned from my ways. I am now, instead of a half inch deep and a mile wide, I am now uh, maybe two thirds of an inch deep and a mile wide. All right. I have grown in my ways and I realize that it is important because the downtime you're going to, you're going to have from doing these pen tests, Right is, I mean, nothing compared to the downtime from falling victim to a cyber attack and the downtime associated with that, that could just wipe your business off the face of the planet if you're too small to cope with a cyber attack at that level. So taking some downtime in order to run pen tests is super important, super, super important. That is the English way to say important.
0: And now that we know you're speaking well, I'm going to ask you one of our questions because we haven't done one of our questions yet. So now that I know you, your, your tongue loosened up, yeah. should do vocal exercises, the old acting vocal exercises before we la, uh, la, la, la. before we start. Do you uh, say "unique New York" quickly in succession? Unique you New know, York. Oh, <laughs> that is a that is a tough one. <laughs> unique, um, New uh, York, unique New there. York. Stop there. Unique New York. Unique New York. Yeah, it's a tough one, but it's uh, yeah one of those old acting tongue twisters. All right, question for the day: What? Mm. Mr. Tyler Wall at twall at cfemedia.com is the worst movie you have ever seen.
1: You know, I'm going to go back in time here. I'm going to go back in time forever ago. Probably five years. Uh, Five or six years. A movie I watched with some friends in high school. Uh, It was about Halloween every year. It was a movie called The Master of Disguise. And it featured... Dana Carvey as this weird turtle looking thing and it's not a very long movie it's like a little over an hour um but it, i don't i don't even remember what it's about anymore but i've watched it one too many times and i think i've seen like maybe four times and it's been every single uh, like Halloween-ish time throughout high school, and I've just never seen it again. But I mean, the Rotten Tomato score—I usually take Rotten Tomatoes with a grain of salt, right? You should value your opinion on a movie by your own opinion and not by anybody else's. But and we're talking one percent uh, critic score, thirty-five percent audience score. You know, it's just—it's just not a great movie uh, by any standard.
0: But, Look, I am all for a good, bad movie. It's like the plan nine from outer space thing. Like there are mm. certain movies that are so bad. They're fun to watch. Yes. So, uh, I, I don't believe I've ever seen this movie. You, by the way, you said four or five years ago, this movie came out in 2002. I've got it up on IMDB right now. Um, so like right around the time you were born. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I so, so Dana Carvey is a star of this. Does Dana Carvey mean anything to you in the world? He means nothing to me at all. (laughs) He's just a man. So he was uh, a big star on Saturday Night Live. He was like built for that show, did a million different characters, impressions, was really, really good and really famous for that. And then kind of, it's not that he didn't have a movie career. He did. He just never had something that really hit. And so I wouldn't have really known what this movie was, except that I listened to a podcast that he hosts called Fly on the Wall. He and David Spade, Mm -hmm. host a podcast that is ostensibly about their experience on Saturday Night Live. They interview people who were on Saturday Night Live, whether it's hosts or cast members or musicians, talking about the show. And he mentions Master of Disguise every once in a while. But don't think I've ever seen it. By the way, if you want to see it, the breakdown on IMDb, an Italian waiter fights off a criminal mastermind with his inherited powers of disguise.
1: It sounds amazing. It's a real thriller. You know, I knew, so he kind of looks like David Spade, like a lot. If he were to grow some facial hair, you know, they'd be very much comparable in looks. But I was trying to think of what David Spade name was. I'm glad you said it because I was about to say James Spader. And that's definitely not anywhere,
0: anything looking remotely like him. Very, very different people. But yeah, they, uh, one of the things they talk about on that podcast a lot. I don't know why I'm recapping. Our podcast has now become a recap podcast of, uh, Fly on the wall, but they talk a lot about how David Spade is basically brought on to be Dana Carvey's understudy on Saturday Night Live, and they used to get mistaken for each other. So, mm. uh, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. Oh, and He's also Roland just so- in this movie, Jennifer Esposito in this oh, movie. Yeah. Uh, Edie McClurg, she had a lot of really good roles in like 1980s and 90s movies. Mm. Um, Kenan Thompson, who had to be like 10 years old when this movie came out. <laughs> oh yeah. anyway uh you, know, and, you have to think about what my worst movie is but uh but yeah master of disguise that's a, a good one i would imagine oh yeah considering it, the rating on also, imdb is a 3.3 3 out of 10
1: oh that's low and of course just so we are all on the same page here you know no hate to james spader by the way i think is excellent in blacklist but uh yeah no james spader's not hey look anything like him
0: so let's talk a little bit about, uh, not about Dana Carvey, but about Mike Nelson, our guest today, uh, and the conversation that we have with him. Like I said, we we talked a lot about, um, as we mentioned earlier, sort of establishing that cyber strategy. And you'll hear it in the conversation in a second, but at some point I asked him, what's the thing your clients and people you consult with ask you the most? And his answer was, where do we get started? Which I think is... Not entirely shocking that that's the answer, but a little alarming that there's still so many people out there on the OTICS side that really haven't done much of anything to get started on their cybersecurity journey. People who either still think that cybersecurity is the purview of IT, uh, or that they just know that they need to take steps and haven't gotten there yet. But uh, but yeah, just these basic ideas, and and he'll talk about it in the in the uh, conversation we have with him. But like. How do you assess your systems? You know, How many systems are at risk? Who controls them? Setting these basic cybersecurity baselines so you can understand the size and the scope of the threat. A basic risk assessment is uh, something that everybody should be doing, but definitely are some places to start to, to get yourself at least moving on this cybersecurity journey on the OT side.
1: Yeah, and hopefully we can move away over time from this idea of trying to look for someone else for direction on how to begin. Because I think that's, it's causing a lot of, you know, a little bit of deer in the headlights a little bit, right? Of, oh, what do we do? Do you know what to do? Do you know what to do? What do we do? And trying to look for people for, look to people for answers, which I'm glad that people are looking to these different experts and practitioners for answers on how to do it. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of develops as we move forward into the 2020s, the 2030s, the 2040s. I
0: think... I think it can also become a, a sort of "great is the enemy of good" problem. Um, mm. If you're looking for the the perfect solution, the perfect, it doesn't exist in cybersecurity and in industrial cybersecurity. Just get started somewhere. Whether you're using uh, whatever a framework, a six two four four three something, measure yourself against something. And and you know something that Tyler brought up, brought up a second ago. If you need, if you don't know internally. Get somebody from the outside to come in and take a look. But but yeah, Mike speaks about all of this stuff much more eloquently than Tyler and I, because he's probably a lot smarter than we are, to be fair. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring in Mike Nelson. He's a director leading CyberCX's US strategy and consulting team. He's got 12 plus years of global cybersecurity consulting experience. Began its career with more than eight years at PwC, that's PricewaterhouseCoopers to the layman, and since moving to CyberCX, he's worked with clients based in the US, Mexico, the UK, India, Australia, and New Zealand, one of my favorite places in the world, to reduce risk, improve resilience, and strengthen cybersecurity postures. Let's go ahead and bring in Mike. Hello, Mike Nelson. Thank you so much for being with us today. Excited to talk to you. Thanks
2: very much for having me, Gary. Uh, excited to talk to you and Tyler here
0: as well. So uh, we, we always start because we want to find out a little bit about the people we're talking to. Obviously, you've got a good background in, uh, in securing ICS systems. We'll go into all of that, but we also want to know a little bit about you. So if you can talk to us about kind of how you got from point A to, to point Z here, how you got into you know what your background is and, and how you got into ICS security.
2: Yeah, happy to. So... Uh, I got my start actually right out of university, um, attended Penn State here in Pennsylvania uh, in a program focusing on security and risk management. So I did a little bit of a pen testing, a little bit of risk management style work as most of my coursework there, and then got scooped up, um, as many of the people do from that program, by big four cybersecurity consulting. So right at a university, it was sort of thrown into a variety of consulting projects. I focused early on in pen testing, AppSec, a little bit more of the technical end of cybersecurity. From there, moved into uh, more cybersecurity program management, vulnerability management program building, that style of work. And yeah, did the big four life for about uh, 10 years prior to my uh, current role at CyberCX.
0: And it seems like your role at CyberCX has been, I know you guys are, 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 are have offices in New Zealand and Australia and are growing out in the US here, but it seems like you're getting a, a fairly international viewpoint of what you're doing through that company.
2: Yeah, very much so, Gary. So um, CyberCX is focused on uh, securing our communities in the markets in which we operate globally. So we as we As you said there, we've got operations uh, sort of born out of Australia and New Zealand, and we're a Five Eyes focused cybersecurity company um, now expanding our presence in the US and the UK and Canada to come. So very much so, uh, we've got a global presence, rely on our global teams in delivering the cybersecurity services that we offer.
1: So I kind of hear at least to start, uh, could you tell us about some of your personal experiences within assess? uh, ooh, yeah personal experiences in assessing ICS security.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to, Tyler. So I started off, as I mentioned, in sort of that pen testing AppSec world, which is where I got my first exposure to ICS systems and some of the cybersecurity sort of parameters and elements that surround them. So mostly it was pen testing and reviewing sort of what I would call ICS adjacent systems at the time not too deep into ICS technical pen testing, like actually uh, going against SCADA systems, but more so pen testing for enterprises that operate those systems and want to make sure they're sort of securely configured and segmented off from their main operations. So initially the view was, hey, do we have the authentication uh, sort of configured for these types of things correctly? Do we have them set up in a way that you're not able to get to them from our enterprise environments? And then from there worked a little bit more towards the the end uh, of the spectrum where I've led teams and led groups of people who are doing sort of that more technical pen testing, um, diving into SCADA environments and diving into ICS sort of systems to, to look for some of those more configuration style details to see if those systems
0: are set up securely.
1: So uh, can you tell us a bit about uh, what the value of security testing is?
0: And really the differences in the OT environment, because obviously pen testing is a different animal if you're talking IT versus OT.
2: 100%. So um, I think that that's a good caveat there, Gary. So pen testing, widely accepted in sort of the IT space, you know, widely accepted in the industry as um, we need to do this. There are several regulatory frameworks, you know, compliance frameworks that require it. It's built into standards like PCI DSS. You know, uh, HIPAA heavily alludes to effective vulnerability management and pen testing. But in the ICS space, in the OT space, pen testing kind of gets a bad rap in my mind because. There's a lot, a lot of restrictions that are put on pen testing, or a lot of sort of preparation that needs to go into it prior to taking that same style of approach that you do in IT environments, where you're just looking at, hey, is there, is there, a, you know, an exploit or is there a vulnerability here that we can, uh, you know, sort of use to our advantage to get some type of access on the system or deeper into the environment. You gotta be really careful when you're pen testing and reviewing um, OT environments. It's not sort of traditionally, they're not sort of traditionally set up in the same way as IT environments with sort of the, you know, dev and pre-prod and all of the lower level environments you could typically pen test against in the IT space. OT requires a lot more preparation, a lot more focus uh, and a, a pretty heavy familiarity with what the impact of your testing might cause there, right? It's something you gotta be worried about on the IT side, but especially on the OT side, when you're talking about systems that maintain you know, safety or actually physically move things or make changes in an environment.
0: Yeah, I imagine the idea of pen testing scares the hell out of the standard OT engineer.
2: <laughs> it still scares the hell out of me, and I lead teams that do it in some ways. So absolutely. Um, you know, pen testing ICS is, is uh, an element that you gotta put a lot of preparation into. And I think you hit a good point there, Gary, which is a little bit lesser understanding in the OT space. I know we're gonna get into this conversation in a few minutes around, well, who typically owns OT cybersecurity, but you're exactly right. In that space, a lot of times who we're talking to are engineers and operations managers, and maybe not sort of the the polished CISOs that you typically get on the IT side. And you gotta do a lot there to articulate What is the goal? You know, what are the expected outcomes of this? It's a bit more work to do to to build the background and sort of build the case for pen testing in OT environments.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I also wanted to ask you, you were mentioning your personal experiences in ICS security. You've been doing this for a little while now. What are the differences you're seeing now versus when you started 10 years ago? How has the industry progressed and hopefully grown?
2: Definitely progressed and definitely grown um, enough questionable. We'll, we'll talk about it here um, <laughs> early on, you know, in my, in my early pen testing days, uh, sort of in that big four consulting work, we were seeing things like SCADA systems exposed to the internet, you know, just internet accessible because engineers or operators want to be able to monitor or work from home on those systems. I, I, you know, hazard to say, I don't think that that's happening as much these days. I think that a lot of that low-hanging fruit has sort of been cleaned up. Um, companies are looking at, you know, just what are what are the basics? What are the what are sort of the minimal things that we need to do to put an acceptable level of security into these environments. And that's led to what i would say is a general maturation in the space a general uplift that comment that i made a little bit earlier on has it gone far enough i think there's still more to achieve i think there's quite a bit more to achieve industry-wide on just identification and knowing what ics systems you have in your environment you know knowing which of those are controlled by you or your vendors or your suppliers There's many more strides to be made in ICS security overall, um, sort of for the industry.
1: So, kind of building off of that, um, why is it important to align your cyber strategy with business goals? I think it's
2: important to align your cyber strategy with your business goals. You want you want investment, and you want support, and you want funding in a lot of cases, right, of your cybersecurity strategy. It's good for all of us to recognize that we should secure things because it's the right thing to do and uh you know we don't want to have uh, interruptions to business operations or availability issues with systems but in putting together a strategy that really aligns what you're doing in the cybersecurity space to support business objectives Then you're speaking the language of the executives that are uh, essentially funding the cybersecurity program or enabling the cybersecurity program, raising awareness about the cybersecurity program in an ICS space. So uh, really focusing on that alignment and focusing and saying, how can our cybersecurity strategy best enable the business is a good way to get that increased sort of acceptance and increased sort of support from the business overall.
1: So something we talk about a lot with uh, different guests that we have is there's like almost a disconnect between, uh, say, your board of directors or your C-suite and the uh, traditional OT engineer. Uh, How do you train the leadership or board about cybersecurity needs and risks?
2: Yeah, the the first part of that is building awareness. Um, Most of your board or executives, sort of your, your typical group of stakeholders that sit at that level are hearing things from news, from media, in sort of understanding, hey, there's a cybersecurity incident that took place maybe in this adjacent industry, or affected somebody else in our industry, or maybe they were personally affected, you know, by a cybersecurity incident that took place in their business. Really building that awareness and understanding of what are the potential consequences, and having that language translated not just from, hey, we could have system outages or hey, we could have uh, you know systems unavailable to what is the impact on the business if that takes place? Building that awareness is really the place to start with that board and executive level audience in understanding, hey, you know, either we're good to go here or we have a ways to go to mature in this space.
0: That makes sense. So you guys are, uh, I know you have consultants all over the place, all the globe talking cybersecurity, kind of, a, kind of a global question for you. What's the biggest question you're getting from your clients?
2: Where to start? Uh, and, and in fact, it, it's a little bit depressing that we still get this question so often in that many clients are coming to us and saying, ICS cybersecurity or OT cybersecurity, we know we need to do something but what is it that we need to do? You know, what sort of is the roadmap for us to achieving better security in this space? So many clients and uh, customers of ours are sort of paralyzed, potential customers as well, are a little bit paralyzed by the size and scale of the problem, ICS cybersecurity. I mean, think of how quickly this has become sort of a... Uh, industry-wide issue with, man, we really have to do something here, you know, in order to be able to protect against these types of attacks or these types of interruptions. It's taken executives and security program leaders and sort of uh, engineering leaders a little bit of time to understand the size and scope and scale of the issue and realizing what the size and scope and scale is it's a big investment to get an actual program, sort of a whole you know, end-to-end program off the ground to address this. But there are, thankfully, sort of incremental steps that you could take along the path. So I'll be encouraged when, you know, in a few more years' time, what we're hearing is, hey, we've done A, B, and C. What can we do about D, E, and F to move further forward in our ICS cybersecurity posture? Um, we're still hearing a lot of sort of the the where do we start? I think due to the size and due to the weight of the issue at this time.
0: That also feels like it sort of goes back to Tyler's earlier question about like why do you need to get the leadership and the board involved? Because you gotta have this thing all the way through the company. You've got to have everybody marching to the same drum, right?
2: Absolutely, and that's one of the biggest. Uh, pieces of any successful cybersecurity program is not only building up the executive support and sort of the the board level, you know, endorsement of the initiatives, but the actual operational engineers and workers who are sort of going to carry it out at that level of, hey, what we really want to accomplish here is reviewing a system or, you know, application before we deploy it on the environment, Okay. Why are we doing that? You know, what is that going to accomplish for us? Getting the buy-in of the level of stakeholders that are actually going to be carrying out the program is another really crucial piece to building up a successful ICS security posture, not just that executive level sort of endorsement.
0: So I want to go back to something you said earlier, talking about ownership. So I want to look at some of the challenges that are facing, you know, business in the ICS community and ICS security. And I think you mentioned earlier that idea of like, who should own this, which is, I think, a big part of it. So if we can talk about that, and then what other challenges do you see facing facing business in ICS? For sure,
2: Gary. Yep. So back to my my idea of sort of analysis paralysis, we're coming around to most businesses, enterprises sort of understanding ICS cybersecurity, big initiative, we've got to do something here. The question within those businesses is, who needs to own it? Is it something that you sort of toss on top of the responsibilities of the existing more traditional IT cybersecurity team? You know, the team that's doing sort of enterprise security or organizational cybersecurity for the business. Or is it something that you align with the operations leaders or engineering leaders that are sort of responsible for, you know, the, the change management, the deployment, the sort of monitoring of a lot of these operational systems that are surely going to be in scope for a program like this? It's kind of a, it's a question that our, our clients and customers and those in the industry have been faced with for a pretty significant period of time now. And like I said, it's a big question to decide the answer to, which I think is causing a little bit of this analysis paralysis on where does it best sit within the business to spin up an ICS cybersecurity program. And to more directly hit your question there, Gary, there is no right answer, right? If you've got a CISO who's willing to do it and take it on and say, okay, one of my largest initiatives is going to be ICS cybersecurity, then that's the right place for it to sit. If it's the operations leaders, maybe that have recently experienced an incident or impact from something you know, within the business that has taken place and are serious about solving this type of issue, then it can sit there. It's not so much a question of where is the right place for it to sit, so much as you know, who's sort of the right leader to drive this ICS security initiative forward. A last one here for me on, on this topic really quickly is we've seen a lot of our clients sort of have success with, okay, it's not traditional IT cybersecurity, it's not you know traditional operations or engineering either. And so building up and sort of spinning up a separate team or maybe going and working with uh, an MSSP or an organization who has experience in this space, to say we at least need to lay the groundwork here before we put the operation of the program into uh, into you know sort of combined with IT cybersecurity or combined with regular engineering really just who is going to address this who's going to start taking a crack at this is one of the most critical questions to answer uh, when you start to get something like this off the ground
1: So one question that we've been asking our guests a lot recently, just as uh, the current events have changed the tides and all of that, uh, what impact do you think AI tools are going to kind of have on the space in general?
2: Yeah. So on cybersecurity in general, Tyler, I think there'll be uh, quite a large impact from both an attacking and a defending standpoint. So we've seen sort of media articles around attackers using AI to craft Uh, Payloads and basically like exploits that are not easily recognizable to existing defenses and tooling that a lot of organizations have deployed. That's certainly one offensive use case here that it's, you know, potentially uh, available to attackers to encrypt or encode or configure sort of their payloads in a way that's going to be not sort of the traditional standard and easily detected via signatures But on the other hand, for defenders, you've certainly got capabilities now, uh, building capabilities, growing capabilities with things like Copilot and Amazon's offerings and sort of the security space as well, where as defenders looking at an environment and trying to detect anomalies and what's taking place, you've got... a pretty solid indicator of when something is taking place that's different from the norm or different from the baseline. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Enabling that level of monitoring and enabling that sort of data analysis that can take place thousands of times more efficiently with, with a machine than with a human, which is able to say, hey, something's going wrong in this area here, or I've had a detection in this area here is certainly gonna be a valuable tool for defenders as well.
1: Yeah, I know something else, Gary and Tyler.
2: Um, ICS wise, Tyler, I think that there is a lot to be done in terms of you know network monitoring and understanding what devices are on the network, understanding the profiles of those devices when they connect. There's certainly AI elements that could be helpful in organizations and enterprises sort of managing their network operations and understanding what's taking place on their networks. So I could see uh, that as one use case where it's going to be supportive in ICS cybersecurity build as well.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, it, it seems like the biggest uh, role it could definitely play in ICS environments is going to be that asset visibility, asset management, um, even assessing vulnerabilities as they come in to determine which are the most important. Because as we all know, I mean, there's a gajillion different vulnerabilities out there for all these different devices. It's more so deciding which ones are Priority. I think you're right, Tyler. You hit it visibility
2: and detection,
1: Uh, detection of anomalies, detection
2: of unexpected activities, and visibility. Just being able to extend monitoring to a much wider array of systems than what an effective team of you know sort of twenty four seven humans can can monitor at the same time is definitely some value you're going to be getting out of the AI space in uh, in ICS cybersecurity. That said, I definitely want to back it up with. Um, nobody's going to go replace, you know, MSSPs with entirely full AI, you know, twenty-four-seven monitoring from machines. At this point, there's still always going to be that layer of follow-up, uh, you know, triage once a detection gets gets basically identified, but. I think you'll start to see more efficient identification and detection to help enable sort of those second-level human-level follow-ups that'll take place off of those uh, tools activities. there.
1: And then kind of continuing, I mean, this is all kind of like looking forward now. Uh, Quantum computing is starting to become a bigger conversation now, especially in the cybersecurity community. Uh, What role could that play down the road, uh, and what is the impact on ICS security?
2: Quantum computing, the the
1: sort of most common use case that we've dealt with in
2: cybersecurity is in encryption mechanisms, right? So uh, encryption of communications from point A to point B and what's taking place there, um, kind of this element of quantum computing making certain types of encryption uh, irrelevant or obsolete, you know, essentially what you're going to be dealing with in that space is the availability for attackers or maybe not even attackers just uh, monitors you know sort of on an environment being able to quickly decrypt or intercept or uh, interfere with you know communications that were previously thought secure You've seen a bit in sort of the quantum resistant encryption space being developed uh, sort of for that purpose of developing algorithms that will encrypt data that won't as easily be sort of breakable by quantum computing methods in that space. Again, as it applies directly to ICS security, you've got sensitive communications in ICS environments taking place, you know, uh, what system is talking to what other system, what commands is it sending, you know, where I think we've sort of seen some nation states and some attackers sort of target ICS environments and uh, want to enact monitoring on ICS environments, really that place of sort of quantum-resistant encryption is going to make it just more difficult for those types of threat actors to see what's taking place on an environment like that.
0: Very interesting. Uh, Yeah, it's not something we've spent a lot of time talking about on the podcast is the impact of quantum computing on cybersecurity, but it it feels like we've been kind of focused on AI, but quantum may be the next big thing we should be talking about. I
2: think so. I think we'll hear more and more about this sort of in in the years to come and like I said uh, new use cases that we're not even aware of today will, will be coming out of this 100%. Today it's today it's the encryption mechanisms. Today it's sort of the quantum resistant, you know, can we effectively encrypt our communications? Tomorrow maybe it's I don't even want to speculate. Um, we, could, we could probably spend some time here and come up with some interesting ideas, but people much smarter than I are, are working in that space right now.
0: <laughs> come on, Mike, speculate. Let's get you in trouble <laughs> on the podcast. That'll be fun, for yeah. <laughs> us. Um, one thing you, you and I talked about in the previous conversation is, you know, when you're talking about cybersecurity in the ICS OT space, there are some big companies that are out there. They're the big ones, the, the Dragos and Nozomi and Clarity and the people who are in that but it's still really kind of a wide open market business-wise. There's a lot of companies coming in. I mean, does it feel like um, this market is growing to you and that it is still really open out there?
2: Very much open and and very much still growing. Uh, Can't emphasize, you know, still growing enough. I sort of bring a lens to this as a cybersecurity services provider that works with each of those companies that you mentioned, you know, on implementations, deployments, uh, allowing our clients to effectively get visibility into their ICS environments and effective, you know, threat and vulnerability management in their ICS environments. So I'm familiar with each of those ones that you mentioned and sort of their offerings out to the market. Where we're focused and where my team is is sort of uh, providing services out there is a little bit more in kind of accomplishing business level goals uh, around what the uh, business wants to accomplish in the ICS security space. So again, while we use those tooling uh, pieces that you mentioned there to enable that to take place, we work in a little bit more of a a services aligned way to then how some of those uh, some of those solutions sort of go to market. But now to your second point, Gary, there on, you know, well, what does it actually look like out there if I'm a client or customer or an enterprise sort of seeking, hey, I want to get into this. I really want to understand where we're at from our ICS security posture. Any one of those tools will start to give you the visibility into the space and its fundamentals at the beginning. It's what are our ICS systems and assets? Do we have a centralized asset register? Do we have visibility into what's happening on those systems? Do we know who's managing and patching those systems and sort of configuring them? All, each of the tools that you mentioned have really solid offerings in that space. They kind of each have niches and quirks where they do some things a little bit differently or a little bit better than the others, but overall, each of them are good starting points to get into this sort of mind space of what can we do to understand our ICS security landscape as it sits today.
0: So uh, we talked about some of the challenges that companies are facing right now in protecting ICS spaces. So let, let's let's go out here with something uh, that, that our audience can take to improve on. So how do you encourage cybersecurity improvement in ICS spaces? How do you talk to your clients about this?
2: Yeah, sure. first one is determining their level of understanding of what the threat is, right? So we've got some super educated, like I said, clients and customers that we're working with on, hey, we've done A, B, and C. You know, we've got an inventory of systems. We've effectively, you know, cut off remote access except through our controlled methods to those systems. You've got sort of the early adopters, ones that are a little bit further ahead and understand the basics and want to, after accomplishing A, B, and C, move on to D, E, and F. That's a conversation with that group of stakeholders and that sort of type of client that's, hey, now we can start looking at you know, standards or guidance in this space that's coming out of things like ISA, IEC 62443 for uh, cybersecurity of industrial control systems, right? You could start to look at frameworks like that and say, great, we've accomplished the basics. You know, we've done some maybe logical segmentation or maybe even some physical segmentation of systems. And we've addressed the early, you know, sort of low-hanging for like remote access. For them, it's moving further down the path of what's the next level of steps that we can take to better secure this environment for those and there are all too many of these that are sort of just starting in this space and more coming at this with the where do we start type of mindset we know this is a problem we understand there's a threat but what should we do to start getting off the ground it's exactly those basics that i mentioned just a minute ago there in understanding okay how do you access those systems how many of them are there where are they are they controlled by you or by your vendors you know or maybe suppliers um When one of those systems gets deployed, uh, installed, configured, how does that take place? Do they have security baselines or bold images? There are, I mentioned this earlier on uh, in our conversation, incremental steps that you can take to make sure sort of the basics are buttoned up. Then you start to move into the next space of, okay, where do we go to from here?
0: All right, Mike, I think I have one more question for you here. You know, we like to, as we're we're walking out of these podcasts, give our listeners something that they can actually go do. Because like we talked about, there are a lot of challenges and a lot of uh, people who are asking you things like, where do we get started? So let's hit it from right there. What is the call to action? What are some steps people can take? Where should people go from here if they want to get started on this ICS journey?
2: Sure. I think number one is understanding the size and the scope of the threat that you face, right? Um, your organization, your enterprise, are you a likely target of ICS cybersecurity style issues? You know, are companies or threat actors, should say threat actors targeting you from the perspective of impacting the availability of your operations, you know, are you a supply chain supplier of uh, critical parts or services, you know, to other companies, just start by understanding what's the likelihood that you are going to be targeted in this space, sort of based on your ICS profile or presence. Then from there, susceptibility. Um, We talked about pen testing earlier on in the podcast. Pen testing can be a great tool to sort of understand, do we have vulnerabilities in this space? We work with clients across the spectrum from those that know and understand we've got a big ICS security problem. You know, if we were to do something like a pen test today, it would be wide open and sort of not even valuable for us to, to sort of start with an exercise or an activity that would address some or identify some of those issues. We know they're there. To maybe if you're a little bit unsure, doing an assessment or a pen testing exercise or even a maturity style review where you're kind of taking a look at the environment and understanding, do we have these controls deployed? Do we sort of have these typical defenses in place? How susceptible would we be to this style of attack on our environment? So I think we hit one and two there. Uh, understanding of sort of your threat profile, two, understanding your susceptibility, and three, I'll end it with understanding what you've done so far, right? Whether you're using a maturity framework or a standard like ISA, IEC 62443 that I mentioned a little bit earlier, understanding what steps you've taken so far and what's remaining for you to do many of the businesses that we work with sort of summarize this up in an ICS cybersecurity strategy or ICS cybersecurity roadmap in putting together these are the initiatives that we want to accomplish over a defined period of time where are you at against your roadmap you know is that something that you're putting together at this time or are you into it and what are the next activities to come I think those three elements that we just talked through there are, are good places to start and sort of good calls to action for for the listeners of this podcast to sort of understand where you're at in this space.
0: And a lot of that just feels like risk-based assessment. It's your, if you're an electrical utility, your risk is very different than if you're bottling Coca-Cola or something like that. What Where are people likely to try to hit you?
2: Absolutely. Yep. Different levels of threats that are faced, different levels of risk tolerance within the business, like you mentioned there, Gary, um, sort of your, your own maybe enterprise risk management posture or stance might say, we have an acceptable level of ICS security risk, you know, that if we were to experience a low level of impact would be okay for us based on that enterprise risk environment. But that's again, to Tyler's point earlier on sort of, aligning your ICS security risk management with your overall business strategy, business risk management posture
0: in assessing those things. Fantastic information, It is is all great stuff. Thank you for giving us a nice call to action on the way out there. So at least people who, if they're listening to this and going, we're at that, how do we get started place? They've now got some steps they can take to get themselves started. 100%, glad to be able to help there.
1: All right, that was our conversation with Mr. Mike Nelson. Great guy, great conversation, great expertise,
0: great mind to dissect. (laughs) So that's a little bit more violent than I think that we actually did with him. It was just a nice conversation. I don't think we did any dissecting there. Uh, Yeah, now Mike is is a a pro at this stuff. Had a lot of really interesting things to say. These are conversations, uh, at least we've had parts of before on here. But even going back to this idea of like, who owns cybersecurity? Who is in charge uh, on the OT side? Who owns cybersecurity on the OT side? Um, you know, and a lot of times it's like he said, it's engineer, engineers, ops managers. Uh, and so, you know, the, it, it, it's really important to build a case for cybersecurity throughout the organization, to be able to build a case For not only the engineers and the ops people, but the people on the business side to make sure you are implementing cybersecurity throughout your organization and that people from the bottom of the organization, the bottom of the ladder to the top, understand what it means to secure OT and ICS systems that it is, I don't say fundamentally different, but it is in a large way different than securing IT systems. And and they, you know it's going to take different tactics and and different skills, and so getting people to understand that and buy into that, I think, is really important.
1: Absolutely, and one of the things, even kind of building off of that a little bit too, is that I liked what he was talking about was just him looking forward. Right, right now we're talking about within security, and uh, we can apply this directly to manufacturing, any space, ever. But specifically within this context, right, because we're dealing with issue A, issue B, issue C you know, whatever those issues are, you want to label them. I mean, we're doing a lot, dealing with a lot with ransomware, cyber strategy issues. You know, people don't know what to do yet. Um, That's probably the biggest one. And I liked what he said about how, like in a couple of years, he hopes that it's a different question, right? To show that we're continuously trying to, you know, find the next problem. Because the more problems you find, the more you can start to strive for just like, you know, a better OT environment and, you know, better protection for your, whatever critical assets may be and you know and so we're not caught in these same perpetual questions for the next decade of what do we do how should we or specifically how do we start right that's the bigger thing is hopefully in the next seven or eight years the question isn't so much how do we start and more is okay we started now what's
0: next right hey speaking of what's next segue. We, we need like a sound cue for a good segue like that. Um, I would be remiss if I did not mention by the time you wonderful listeners listen to this, uh, it will almost be black hat time. So we'll only be days away from black hat. Uh, I will be attending virtually this year, but uh, my lovely co-host Tyler over there will actually be there in person. And uh, with one another one of our colleagues, Judy Pencil. So if you guys are out at black hat this year, and your dream in life is to be on the ICS Pulse podcast, which would be a strange dream, but good on you if that's what you want. Uh, or you just want to talk to us or punch Tyler in the nose or whatever it is. Look for him there at Black Hat. Don't don't punch him, but talk to him.
1: It's OK, though, because they won't know who what I even look like. So uh, and unfortunately, we do not have any ICS Pulse podcast merch yet. Uh, stay tuned in the next decade. I'm sure we will have something in the line. Um, but if you do want to, like, like you said, if you do want to talk at the show, you know, high five, play some chess, whatever, talk, talk shop. Um, you can feel free to email either of us, uh, me at, again, for anybody who did not take
0: notes at the beginning, uh, wall at cfemedia.com or you can hit me at g c o h e n at media. But yeah, we'd love to talk to you while we're out there. It's always good to meet some people, and you know, Black Hat's a good show. Uh, neither of us are big gamblers, although I guess Tyler didn't do a lot of gambling when he when he was there last year. So, uh, so yeah, it'll be uh, hopefully we'll we'll meet some new people and uh, find ourselves some new guests while we're out there. Absolutely, and just a little bit of housekeeping, as you all know
1: by now. I'm sure all of you are dedicated listeners at this point. Uh, podcast drops every other tuesday so be sure to stay tuned for uh two tuesdays from now when we are dropping our next next pod and uh, make sure you make sure you listen because they're always good ones there's never been a bad
0: one and you can always learn more and make sure you watch master of disguise sometime between now Mm. and the next podcast (laughs) thanks so much for joining us this time and every time uh we'll be with you again in a little while and hopefully we'll see you out of black hat
1: stay safe out there bye everybody